Welcome to the Open House Festival podcast brought to you by Banger FM. And as usual, I'm your host, John Darcy, and I told you we would be back sooner rather than later. And here we are today, a special mini podcast to chat to local author Leslie Allen, who's just released her first book, her debut novel, The Lonely Life of Biddy Weir. It's available in all bookstores and via ebook as well, if you're digital. The book has already been launched. Leslie has been signing copies at Eason's in Bangor and in Belfast. The reception's been really good so far. Some of her quotes on the back of the book are particularly complimentary. It's a wonderful debut, poignant, powerful and moving with ripples of dark humour. That was Colin Bateman who said that. And a great quote from Ian Sampson, the best-selling author of the Northwick Mystery and friend of the podcast. He said that if you're a bit of a weirdo, you will love Biddy Weir. Well, I am a bit of a weirdo, as you've probably gathered, if you're a fan of the Open House Festival podcast, so I thought it'd be great to get Leslie in to chat about the book. I also thought it would be good to get the perspective of someone with a background in education, because the book deals with a lot of issues around bullying. The main character, Betty Weir, is a victim of bullying. I wanted to hear from someone who deals with those issues on a day-to-day basis, so I contacted Roger Duncan, who works with pastoral care at South Eastern Regional College here in Bangor. So we got him a copy of the book so he could read it and hear about his perspective from an education background too. So without further ado, let's do the Batman scene swirl and flip to myself in conversation with Leslie Allen and Roger Duncan. We have a special this afternoon. I'm joined in the studio by Leslie Allen, a local author, and by Roger Duncan, Head of Pastoral Care at South Eastern Regional College. We are in the Bangor campus today of South Eastern Regional College in the recording studio, and I've invited Leslie in to talk about her new book, The Lonely Life of Biddy Weir. Leslie, how are you? I'm Good, thank you. John. Good to see you. Actually, Leslie, most people around the Bangor area probably know you from your involvement with Open House Festival yes. throughout the year. Yes. And wow, this year was crazy. It was unbelievable. Yes, it was it was um well our, our best yet, but I think every year is our best yet. Um and in fact next year will be our fifth birthday in Bangor, uh twenty seventeen. So we're already planning for that, which is very exciting. <laughs> It's It just doesn't stop, really, you think, once August is over and probably you just sleep for a couple of months. But then you've got to do all those oh, never sleep. audience <laughs> surveys, customer analysis. And yeah. there's there's been a, obviously a massive economic impact on Bangor that you just have to sort of research and see how, how that worked too. Well, September and October are basically our reporting and um, uh, analysing months. So we get all the customer feedback forms. Uh, and we we number crunch and we um we we look at we, we we look at all the comments we we survey our not just our customers but our our festival friends all our venues um we report back to all our funders so that's ours and north downborough council and the arts council of northern ireland and tourism ni so there's a lot of work behind the scenes and um we really don't take a rest at all. We don't take a break. <laughs> but um, we've just uh, actually really just in the last few weeks um, calculated our economic impact on Bangor and for the festival period. And it was oh, 1.1 yeah. 1. 1 million, wow. um, which is pretty astonishing. 
listeners are, are clapping or snapping their fingers <laughs> in the car while they hear this. Well, Leslie, we're not really here to talk about Open House Festival today. We're here to talk about your new book, The Lonely Life of Biddy Weir. Um, it's got, it's it's back cover is overcome with quotes from other authors saying how great it is. Um <laughs> I'm not going to say lovely. how great it is, but I've actually brought in another guest to chat to us who's read who's read the book. I'm not sure if he's quite finished it, but I thought it'd no. be good to get no. a uh, an- another perspective on this because the book tackles a lot of issues around bullying. So I thought, since since we based in Bangor FM here, based in Southeastern Regional College, I would get the head of pastoral care from Southeastern Regional College Thank who deals much. with these issues on a day to day basis. Roger, A, how are you? I'm not too bad, thank you. I'm doing okay. And B, how was the book? Um, I think I described it earlier on as wow. is probably yeah. the best way to describe it. It's very hard hitting. Um, and, and you mentioned there, I mean, with, with the sort of things that I deal with on a day-to-day basis, I could actually, you know, put a lot of stuff from the book into dealing with people who maybe have had bullying throughout their time in schools, coming into the college and maybe coming forward with a, an issue. And then once we delve down into that, we find out that they've been bullied during their time at school, mm. whether that be primary school, whether it be post-primary provision or otherwise. And I, I could just, um, a lot of things that were within the book, I was just able to, um, I suppose, link in with, with what I deal with, how I deal with it. Even going back to when I was teaching in schools as well, as a form tutor, Whenever somebody would come up to me and say, I'm being bullied by, once you would delve down a little bit further and speak to them, it's not necessarily by one person. It's maybe by, Mm -hmm. there's one ringleader and a group of followers who just are maybe following that ringleader because they don't want to be bullied by them Mm. or they want to be in with the in crowd. And I could actually just see a lot of that in my own practice, not only as a teacher, but also as head of pastoral care. It's very hard hitting. It's fantastic book and it's not just because you're sitting in the studio here Mm -hmm. I think it's absolutely brilliant Um, we were talking about imagery and for me when I'm reading any sort of book uh, I always find I can always say it's a really good book if I can picture the characters in my mind and picture the scenery picture where they're placed and I could do that within this book I could just see what Biddy looked like walking into school you know with the the ginger curls with the you know the 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 uniform that was slightly too big I think my mum would have called it it's okay you'll grow into it you know (laughs) probably by the time I got into fifth year when I was coming into first Uh, and maybe the dishevelled look as well and slightly different from looking slightly different Mm -hmm. from everybody else in the class which automatically nearly stigmatizes them and, and puts them into a corner where nobody maybe wants to to talk to them or integrate with them and they don't know what's happening outside and to find out her story from outside of the school which is impacting her in school it just is an amazing book absolutely amazing book thank you well leslie maybe you could tell us about sort of the formation of this character um the the book's set in a sort of fictional seaside town in northern ireland but i mean we can probably imagine (laughs) it's not too heavily disguised it said the fictional town is ballybrock and i suppose ballybrock um in in the same way that biddy uh, and alison the girl who bullies her are it's a hybrid of uh lots of of small seaside towns in Bangor and not just seaside towns just that that kind of small insular society mm-hmm. but although it's set in Northern Ireland it could be anywhere uh, Biddy's story is definitely a global story it just happens to be set here and um, when I started writing the book a long 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 time ago I don't really know why I didn't set it in Bangor um 
I suppose being a first time author, I maybe didn't have the confidence to actually set the book in my hometown. Um, although I drew so many uh, visual Im- imageries from the town. Um, but I'm quite glad now that I did set it in a fictional location because it kind of I think it makes it more um, accessible to a, a global audience. When I say global audience, <laughs> you I mean, mean someone like me who lives in Lisbon could. <laughs> yeah, but well, beyond Northern Ireland, you know, yeah. it's not just a book for Northern Ireland. Um, it's a book for anywhere. Um, and could be read by anyone anywhere. I think. And what about the character of Biddy? I mean. I guess a lot of, especially first time authors, I imagine people sort of maybe look at the protagonist and wonder, oh, how close is that to the actual author? Is there a a sense of uh, telling your life story through a a different lens in this book? Yes, well, definitely. I've been asked that question a lot. Is Biddy me? Is it my story? And she's most definitely not me. And it's not my story. I was not in any way, shape or form bullied in the way um, Biddy is bullied. I mean, there were times uh, in my school days and I definitely would have encountered um, uh, unsavoury behaviour from other girls um, as girls are, you know, kind of the, the, the girl pack um, mentality. Yes, I've I've probably, yeah, I, I have encountered it, but I wouldn't ever say I was bullied. Um, Biddy, Biddy just came to me. She came to me the character came to me in a short story I wrote many, many years ago when I was just starting out kind of testing my way in fiction writing. And um, she was in this short story and then I let, finished the short story and kind of moved on to something else. But the character kept coming back and kind of picking away at me. And so I started to explore her a little bit more and then more and more. And gradually I ra- realised I was writing a novel and it was mm. about Biddy so the, the the novel was definitely character driven as opposed to plot driven I didn't sit down ever and plan out the novel I didn't sit and plot it out and um, know exactly what was going to happen in each specific part of the novel it very much was driven by her and it was as though she was a real person and she was just t- telling her story and I was writing it um, it was a very strange, um, at times, it was a very, very strange experience. I find that whole process so fascinating. Um, we'll, we'll we'll talk, we'll, we'll delve into sort of the bullying thing uh, in a minute. And actually, I would like, it would be really lovely if you could read a little bit of the book, will, a little yes, portion to, towards yeah. the end. Um, but just to talk about that creative process, because it seems like every creative person describes their process in a different way and, and there's certain sort of archetypal things like uh, coming up with a song in the shower or like actually um, Colin Bateman, banger-based author um, who I've had on the podcast before uh, when we were talking about his process he, he like you says he doesn't have he doesn't set it out like a sort of a research project with yeah. a start, middle and end it, it just sort of flows out Yeah, well I mean I know uh, the, thing, the thing I've learned over the years about writing and about um uh, because I've I've met so many other authors, especially since being published, um, everybody has a different way, and there is no right or, or wrong way to do it. Um, and I think if if you're ever in a creative writing environment, um, and the you, you're told this is the way you have to do it, then 
leave the class because <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 there isn't a right way. Um, uh, you know, I, I have I've met met and spoken to many authors who do plan who have you know their their room wherever they write is covered in post it notes and mm. um, in boards with with I mean uh, well one author I know he's just about to start writing his third novel but he already has every single chapter plotted out wow. so he knows exactly what happens in every cha- chapter he just hasn't actually written the narrative yet. And I'm full of admiration for that, but that's never going to be the kind of writer I am. Um, I'm more of a... I was listening to an interview um, a, a few days ago with um, the with the, the writer Zadie Frost, and she yep. um, was talking about... She was asked, was she an architect or a gardener? <laughs> and she said she's most definitely a gardener. And I definitely feel I'm a gardener when it comes to writing as well. Well, you alluded to the fact that this book has been in the works for a number of years. Yes. <laughs> so at what stage did you feel like, oh, this is a novel? And then what was the process of actually getting it to a publisher and getting it in print? Well, the the, the, the story behind the book is almost a book in itself because um, I completed the first draft of this book in 2007 and then went about the business of getting an agent which is almost as difficult mm-hmm. as getting a publisher and it's one of those catch-22 situations for a new writer you almost have to have an agent before you can get a publishing deal um, but to get a to get an agent you sometimes have to have a publishing deal or or close to and it is it's it's getting an agent is very very difficult so I said about getting an agent and um I uh, the way that it works is you send the first three chapters and a synopsis and a covering letter out to um, your your hit list of agents. Um, and I selected, I think, about four or five from the um, Writers and Artists Yearbook. And one of them was the Felstein Agency who had just set up their business in Northern Ireland, in Bangor, actually. And they were the first um, real literary agents to to set up shop uh, locally uh, Susan is actually from Bangor and her husband Paul is uh, from America and they have worked in the publishing industry together and separately for many many years and decided to relocate back here and set up an agency so wow. that just happened when around about the time when I had finished the first draft so they were on my list because I'd heard about them and a few others in, in England and I think I had out of the first five, I think I had three responses. One said, thank you, but no thank you. Two others I never heard from. And two, including the Feldsteins, said, can we have the rest of the manuscript, please? And I hadn't finished it. <laughs> <laughs> quite, I hadn't quite finished it. So I finished the, the book over a weekend, sent it out, um, and they were both really, really interested. But I decided at the end of the day that I would go with a Feldstein agency because they were new, local and hungry and I had a definite connection with them. And they're they're fabulous people and have, have stuck with me solidly through thick and thin ever since. Um, so fast forward a year because you go through a bit of an editing process when, when you when sure. you sign up to your agent. Um, the book then received a, uh, an offer uh, for publication from um, a small independent publishing company based in London and it was amazing. So I had a publishing deal and I told everybody and 
um, I celebrated and people bought me champagne and sent me congratulations cards and it was just fantastic. And then... (laughs) (laughs) About a month later, just as we were preparing to sign the contract, it fell through. It was just at the time of the uh, economic Mm -hmm. crash and um, I'm still not entirely sure what happened, but uh, the company decided that they couldn't commit they couldn't fulfill their obligations so um they withdrew the offer and it didn't happen so i was left with all this champagne and all these congratulations cards and a lot of egg in my face but i mean in truth it was pretty devastating and i felt i've said before i felt like i'd been jilted at the altar Uh um and then i didn't write for a period of probably almost two years, didn't really write. But there were a lot of other things happened in my life at that time. My father became ill and he died um, about 10 months later after a really difficult illness. And um, I I just found myself in a place where I couldn't, I had nothing create, create the creativity had lost, left me. And, uh, and I was definitely affected by the loss of the... Um, of the publishing deal, and then, but then, of course, if it's in your blood, it's in your blood, and it started to creep back. And I started to try and write other things, but Biddy didn't leave me, and my agent was also determined not to give up. So I did a couple. I kept tweaking at the, the book and sending it back to her, and she would send it out, and we got more very pleasant, lovely rejections. But <laughs> the problem seemed to be, um, and you maybe get this, Roger, from having read the book. Some a lot of publishers were saying it was too adult for their young adult f- uh, list, mm-hmm. and some were saying it was too young adult for their adult list. It kind of fell in between a rock and a hard okay. stone. For me, it's always been an adult book which could be read by young adults, but a lot of publishers couldn't quite place it. And then, and then I kind of gave up on it again and started writing what has now become my second book. And then about three and a half years ago, a friend um, had been badgering me for a long time to read it and I sent him the manuscript and he came back with quite a a significant structural change. And I so I took about three months, did a huge rewrite and my agent started sending it back out again. And then we, we got the deal from 27 books and... Um, which was just unbelievable. Did you find, because you're sort of focusing on, on, on bullying per se, that maybe some people or some publishers, uh, even agents, maybe thought it's too sensitive an issue to publish as well? I definitely think there was an element of that. And I think because of one of the particular relationships in the book, mm-hmm. um, there were a few people who shied away from from maybe the controversy that that might um, um, cause. So, yes, I think there was an element of that. But it was funny because you get, when you get a really nice rejection from a publisher and you know they have definitely connected with it, um, they will say, I really hope you find a home for this. This, You know, you you will find a home. And I... um, I definitely feel that with 27 books, I have found the right home for Biddy because they have embraced the book and and the character and her story wholeheartedly. Um, So it was a very long wait, but it was totally worth it. 
And I hope that everyone who sent champagne on the original one <laughs> does it got again. another bottle <laughs> for the second <laughs> signing. Um, so it, the book did find its home on 27 Books mm-hmm. and it was released just there at Anti-Bullying Month. Um, so you've been launching the book and doing signings in Eason's and Bangor and Belfast. So maybe let's delve into the bullying side of it because Roger, you raised earlier that sometimes there can be this sort of group think mentality to, yeah. to, to bullying. Um, and maybe it's led by a ringleader and maybe some of other other people are just following so that they don't then get ostracized. Yeah. And Leslie, you mentioned sort of this idea of like it girls and we see that in films like Mean Girls as well. Yeah. This sort of um I don't know, like group hunting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> really. yeah over, maybe yeah. maybe mm-hmm. can 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 you both maybe shed a bit of light on how you feel about that? I or, think no, I I would totally agree. I mean I I've had I've had nearly 15 years now in education and teaching and for this past just over 10, nearly 11 years, it's been in further education. What we found here, whenever um, young people are coming into the college, they're coming in a little bit more mature. So bullying per se, we wouldn't necessarily have as massive amount of issues with bullying in the college than maybe schools would have, especially from the 11 to 16 or 11 to you know to 18 year olds because they're trying to find their place. They're trying to be you know, that top person within a class or within a group. So that's when when all that sort of, um, as you call it, maybe group mentality with a ringleader begins to happen. And there's that one person or those couple of people within the class um, who maybe are, are a little bit different to everyone else, maybe don't conform to the latest styles, the latest fashion, the latest type of music or video games or whatever else as it is now. Uh, and that's what happens is they focus all of their attention sort of on those those people and anybody that's in within this group or within this pack leader yes to an extent they may be one right well we'll get in with staying with this person because we don't want to be bullied by them and the best way we can do it is be his or her best friend and every joke that they say we'll laugh at it which has happened in the book and every insult they dish out they'll laugh at it too and they'll try to get the, the people that they're targeting their bullying on into trouble by saying oh he did she did they did and that comes through in the book and and i think that's that what i what i could see in the book what i was reading in the book is what i've experienced through teaching um and through youth work and otherwise as well so there is that in the colleges maybe not so much but in schools they sort of have that because you've got people coming from different areas into a new mm. school trying to find their feet and that's where it sort of starts and it starts in first year and works its way up and um I think in one part of it, uh, Betty was talking about being bullied for years and years. Mm-hmm. And there was a mention of it about it, most cases, bullying happens for one, two, maybe three years at the most. And then sort of filters out and stops. But hers has been prolonged and ongoing and ongoing. And I think, you know, that has happened. And I've seen that happen as well. Whenever, the, you know, people that have been bullied for many years in post-primary come into the college with those issues. And when we start to speak more to them, we find out that that's been the you know the root cause of what is impacting them now, whether it be mental health issues, whether it be friendship issues or otherwise. And we mm. then have to treat the root cause as well as what has been presented to us. I think with with, with in Biddy's case, the the problem lay in the fact that her, the the bully um, moved with her from primary. So her mm-hmm. her bullying started in primary school, and the girl who bullied her then moved with her into um grammar school and yeah. so she she couldn't get away no, she, no from from yeah. there you know but 
potentially if they had separated at that point and Biddy had gone to a different school, someone else might have picked up the mantle and started yeah. it. But this particular girl knew, she knew Biddy inside out and she yeah. knew what to do to um, to push Biddy's buttons yeah, exactly. and, and to kind of glorify herself in the process. So, um, yeah, that was that was unfortunate from... Mm-hmm. From Biddy's perspective, she thought she was going to escape her, but she didn't. She didn't. We, I, I would occasionally get letters from parents who maybe would say, well, my daughter or my son was bullied in school and I'm concerned if the, the bully from the school comes into the college and ask them what we can do here. Um, and we would meet with the parents and tell them, you know, how we can help and support young people here and how we can actually, you know, we, we can't go to the other person and say we know what's happened in the previous school, but we can help the person who has been bullied in the past to cope with mm-hmm. anything that happens uh, through just some of the the initiatives we have here within the college. We sort of give them those sort of coping strategies, the strengthening strategies and a bit of more self-confidence, mm-hmm. um, even from the first couple of weeks of term, so that they have a little bit more confidence if somebody does say something to them that they can then deal with it or at least not let it impact them the way it would have done in schools so I would deal with a lot you know quite a bit of that and and parents do get concerned because you know the feel they've come from in that secure school environment so to speak into college which is a bit more relaxed but we're still trying to teach them independent learning in a structured environment mm-hmm. and you know we'd liaise with parents quite considerably over bullying incidents from school and their worries about coming into the college but we find we can sort of, if something does happen, we can quite happily nip it in the bud quickly by speaking to both parties and explaining what they need to do to avoid it, to stop the situation happening in the future. And I suppose helping the person who's been bullied, but also explaining to the person who's the bully why their actions are wrong, yeah. and how they have to change those actions and letting them understand what the impact of what they're doing could have on somebody else. Yeah, there are those two perspectives. There's that of Biddy Weir and um, (laughs) the victim of bullying, but also there's the perspective of the bully and why that person um, may pick on other people, what's been the cause of that. And I mean, we often find that the bully has been the victim previously and then (laughs) pays that behaviour forward onto other people. Do you think now, like Biddy Weir, the story is set in the 80s. Now in the 21st century there's a lot more general awareness of mental health and a lot of Mm -hmm. campaigns for mental health positivity and for people to open up about problems they're having do you think we're working towards a space in which younger people may be more aware of how their actions affect others and to curtail their own bullying when they realise oh wait now I'm the bully because some people probably get dragged in to, to bullying, I imagine, some young people without really realising. They can do if there's somebody that maybe is easily led and, you know, that you've got that maybe that figurehead within the class um, who, you know, sort of can draw people to them and then everybody wants to be their friend. So whatever they do, you know, that figurehead does and other people can be led quite carefully into it. I do still think, and, and, and you said about the publishing people, we're a little bit concerned about publishing around the subject of bullying. I, you know, mental health awareness has been raised. We've got Anti-Bullying Month to raise awareness of bullying and the and the, sort of the impact of bullying as well. I do still think we could do an awful lot more in relation to bullying. I do believe that. You know, we focus quite a lot, the five steps of well-being, you know, for mental health. You know, and, and we do have quite a lot happening in around bullying, but there's still... 
you know, not just, with, you know, within the college, we do quite a lot. And around Berlin, we bring organizations in to speak to groups and classes. I still do think there should be an even greater awareness and more campaigns external, you know, run whether it be by central government, Stormont or whatever else, to focus a little bit more on Berlin and the impact of it and how it can lead into those. You know, if somebody's had sustained Berlin for five, six, seven, eight years of their life, a bit like Betty, because, you know, person followed them all the way through from primary school to post-primary into the grammar, that can lead to other medical issues later on in life. You know, mm-hmm. the mental health, you know, there needs to be joined up thinking about how each certain thing outside impacts on everything else you know and and i think that's something that we need to like raise awareness young people do have a greater awareness of bullying nowadays than they would have had years ago and it's all down to social media it's all down to the some of the campaigns that are there but in some ways the way in which they get the message out is the way in which they bully too it's a bit of a double-edged sword because certainly in in if if biddy's story had been set today or if social media had existed in the 80s Biddy actually, I don't think, would have survived. And that's the thing that causes me so much uh, concern is that there are so many young people today who are not alive because they've been bullied. And um, uh, social media... uh, In Biddy's day, she she could go home at half past three and, and close her front door and she had respite, and she had respite at weekends, and she had respite in school holidays. And nowadays, there is no respite because of social media. Um, you know, there isn't a child who doesn't have some access to social media on their phone, on their tablet, or on their on their laptop. There's no escape for them. It's twenty four seven, and that and and so much of it is. Um, it means so much bullying on social media to me is it's like a disguise it's like um it's like you know people who bully via social media it's it's easy for them to do it because they're not doing it face to face and maybe they can't see the immediate and automatic consequences of mm-hmm. what they're saying um and I, I actually feel that it's probably it's an epidemic at the minute. Yeah, I think the thing about social media as well, and even the likes of text messages as well, um, it's not necessarily the content. It's the fact that it's been put up on social media. And every time you get a notification coming up, every time your phone beeps mm-hmm. for a text, it's that immediate anxiety, that immediate worry. What next? What mm-hmm. has somebody else said about me? What are they making fun of me about on social media? You know, you don't, they don't necessarily need to be doing anything. There might not be a comment, but it's just that worry and anxiety about what's happened now, what have they said, and that causes it as well. I mean, you know, we, we come from the... I'm a child of the 70s and the 80s, you know, and seeing bullying from a perspective then in schools that I went to, to seeing it now is just... It's a different mm-hmm. kettle of fish completely. It is... Um, I think you used the phrase that epidemic about social media and bullying on social media, and I would totally agree with that, 100%. You know, I've got two boys, and my eldest boy is at the age now where he is on Facebook, he is on Instagram, and he's got Snapchat. He'll walk in through the door from school, and the first thing I do, is, or my wife will do, is put the hand out to the, for the phone, and we'll check what he has posted on social media, 
and what anybody has posted or tagged him in on social media. And it's just because as a parent, I'm concerned about that and the impact it could have on him. You know, so I worry about it, even though it's not happening to me or it's not happening to him. But it's that worry that it could be happening. Yeah. And these ecosystems on the social media is always... uh these ecosystems and the social media sort of evolve so quickly. So it's, I mean, it's hard for you as a parent to monitor in a way as, as well. Oh, yeah. And it becomes harder the older they get. Leslie, before before we go, I don't want, I know you both have things things to be getting on with. Roger, <laughs> Roger you have a college too, <laughs> to keep an eye on. Um, before we go, Leslie, could you read us a little portion of Biddy Weir? I'd love to, yes. I'm going to read a little bit um, uh, from chapter two and this is the first time that um Alison Fleming who is the bit the bully in the book encounters Biddy um and this is when Alison arrives at uh Prospect Park Primary School um in primary six. So Biddy has already been there um her whole school life and Alison is the new girl in the class. Alison knew that she would be adored, as that was all she had ever been used to. Well, apart from when the thing with Selina Burton had happened, but thankfully, that was all behind her now. The thought of moving to a new small town from the big city hadn't fazed Alison in the slightest, as she had had no real emotional attachment to any of her old friends, especially after the incident with Selina. She was looking forward to the challenge of making new people fall for her, and this time, She was determined not to mess up. But even she didn't expect it to happen quite so quickly. The swiftness of her her positioning as the most popular girl in the class was a pleasant surprise that inflated her already lofty ego to new heights and gave her a formidable flush of bravado. So when she noticed the odd-looking girl from her class with the horrible hair and the dirty, ill-fitting uniform, walking around the playground, head-bent, hands clasped behind her back, stopping every so often to stare at, at what? Her interest was instantly piqued. The girl was the only female pupil who hadn't clamoured to talk to her, or flash her a toothy smile, or offer to show her where the cloakroom was, or the canteen or the gymnasium. In fact, she hadn't even acknowledged her arrival, in any way at all. How dare she? Alison took a closer look. She was really quite repulsive. Her socks were a colour she couldn't put a name to. Her cardigan was missing several buttons. She was certain she smelled of something rotten. She kept glancing at her during history lesson after break and the maths one before lunch, certain the girl would finally look her way, flash her a smile, try to befriend her, which, of course, she would not allow. But she didn't. It appeared that she... Alison Fleming was entirely invisible to this, this thing. Memories of Selina and the aftermath of the incident flooded her and she felt an irrational sense of rage. This hideous girl might not have noticed her yet, but she would. Oh, she would. By the end of lunchtime, Biddy's fate was sealed. That was Leslie Allen reading from her new book, The Lonely Life of Biddy Weir, which is available, I'll say, in all good bookstores and <laughs> online via ebook.
uh, media as well. <laughs> uh, Leslie, thanks so much for coming in and telling us thank about the book. Thank you for having me. And thank you, Roger, for giving Thanks us your welcome. perspective it's on lovely to meet you, Leslie, bullying from an educational you, perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, this has been the Open House Festival podcast with me, John Darcy. We will be back, I'd say, maybe in a couple of weeks' time with some more exciting interviews because, as we said earlier, the Open House team does not stop. It's a throughout-the-year venture. Um, so thanks again to Leslie and Roger, and I'll see you soon. The Open House Festival podcast is brought to you by Bangor FM. Tune in on 107.9 FM in Bangor or online via the TuneIn app. Keep in touch with us on Facebook and Twitter. The theme song of the Open House Festival podcast that you're hearing right now is by Swimming Tapes. It's a track called Souvenirs and you can get it on their SoundCloud. The Open House Festival Bangor features a month of hand-picked music and arts in special places. The Open House Festival is supported by the Arts Council of Northern Ireland, Ards and North Down Borough Council, Tourism Northern Ireland and Northern Ireland's Year of Food and Drink 2016.